Hello, and we'll welcome you to me mind. Me mind, that's right, we're doing the accent again with a more jolly, a more jolly Irish accent than a dreary one. We're going for a little bit more positive vibes because we all need in 2020 a wee bit of luck, a little bit of that Christy Moore luck, I would say. So 2020, where do you even start? Besides a, um, a lot of stuff that happened. Uh, in Australia, this time last year, the, the nation was on fire. And now, <laughs> now where I am, uh, it's just raining a lot. So that's a bit of um, uh, a, bit, a bit strange. Usually in summertime in Australia, it's usually hot dry hot depending on where you are sometimes it's really humid hot but now it's uh, i think there's a bit of humidity around but it's raining so it's it's way different last this time last year i couldn't even see the sky it was like that thick with smog you know or bushfire because of the fires it was uh, a crazy time and definitely uh, gave you a bit more perspective on um, on the environment and how you uh, you should uh, proceed accordingly with um, taking care of the environment. It uh, it got me thinking a lot about um, just a- about how we can proceed into the future, and um, yeah. Well, uh, my wife and I, we sat down and watched the, the David Attenborough um, Life on Life on Earth. Is that, the, is that his newest one? Um, it's really good. It is by far the most insightful environmental documentary. It's, it's like changing the idea about climate change without preaching it. You know, because he does say it, and he does say it a lot, but it doesn't. It never feels preachy. It never feels like, you know, he's going on and on and on about it. And the the, the way he puts it is, yeah, it's graphic, but it's good. It's what you need to hear. It's like David Attenborough's playing like disappointed dad for the planet. <laughs> you know, it really. Um, <laughs> He's got some really good ideas and he's 93. He's 93 this, this year or, or he turned 93 this year and he's, um, oh, he's seen it all. Hasn't he really from like from the documentary, it says, you know, from 19, um, 56 when he started traveling, um, and making documentaries about nature and that to like now. I think, um, yeah, it's interesting that he stuck it out too because his um, dad was, no, not his dad. His brother was Richard Attenborough and he was like the Miracle on 34th Street Santa. And he was in, uh, he was, um, uh, who's the old, the old guy in Jurassic Park? You know, he, that was Richard Attenborough. If you're struggling to remember who he was on Miracle of 34th Street, of course, he played Santa. That's not much of a spoiler because, you know, Miracle of 34th Street is quite uh, quite popular. I think um, it's it's a pretty good Christmas movie, but it, 
eh, it's not a, it's not the best one. I think my personal favorite one has got to be the Jim Carrey Grinch. That's got to be my favorite. Oh, it's definitely up there. It's one that you can watch and watch again and still got that nice Christmas vibe. I really like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang with Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer and Michelle Monaghan. Um, that's probably like, that's that's in the top 10, like favorite movies. Of course, um, Shane Black directs that and wrote that. He's the same guy that wrote Iron Man 3. So, you know, they came back for Iron Man 3 to collaborate and produce that great movie. The good thing about um, the, the kind of Shane Black writing is that he throws an inadvertent twist in there somewhere where it's very unexpected and it's 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 great. It's the, the way he pulls it off is just really well written and it's really, really good. It's not like a um a script changing or a story changing twist either. It's just like a little a little, ooh, he's that guy now. You know, it's really cool. Um I don't know why we're talking about Christmas because Christmas is over. Christmas is done. Taking down Chrissy decorations soon. We're going to take down a real tree soon. I'm not quite sure when I plan to do it, but I don't really want to because the house smells so nice. I mean, I might have to get little, I might get a pine tree and just hang it up. Well, not hang it up. I don't, you don't do that with plants, but I might just put a pine tree near the window, a little, a little one and I'll grow it throughout the year and that'll be my Christmas tree next year. Anyway, going back to this documentary. Um, so it's basically saying that if you haven't watched it, go check it out, David Attenborough's um, Life in Our Planet. He's like, he says it as a witness statement to, um, that this is his, you know, eyewitness report on what's happening to the earth and the decline that he's seen from uh, an early age until now. And um, it, it's really cool because it starts off in Chernobyl, which is, of course, the... Um, nuclear reactor that blew up in Russia or Ukraine, sorry. And, um, you know, that was a place of, um, it was a city and it was like 300,000 people or 200,000 people or something. And then in 48 hours, there was no one. And I think there's a couple of people, I think I'm confident I seen a documentary years and years ago called Life in Chernobyl. And it was people that actually lived in Chernobyl and they just, ate potatoes and stuff it was it was good but you know it's very it was very much what you would expect from the eastern european documentary basically you know they ran you through how they made borscht from potatoes and beetroots and stuff and boiled chicken (laughs) you know um anyway starts in chernobyl and then you know he explains uh, uh what happened at chernobyl and and all that and then it goes through and you see you know all the dramatic changes i won't you know i won't step by step explain the whole uh documentary but yeah he goes through and says you know the decline of nature and all this that and everything else and then at the end you know it's like this great realization that i should say spoiler alert but you know you you surely you would have seen it surely everyone has seen that documentary by now i mean it was such a good documentary and it was pretty much plastered everywhere i'm surprised i hadn't seen it earlier uh um i don't know why i'd been putting it off so long because it's been it's it's it was just so good um 
it was just so great. You know, it was great to see. And I was talking to a family member about it before we watched it. And I was like, oh, I don't like that Greta Thunberg because of what, um, of what she kind of represented and how like the whole world, it took a 16 year old to say, um, to say what was wrong with the world. And for me, I felt like a lot of people from my generation have been trying to change the world, but not change it because obviously everything's in baby steps. You know, you crawl before you walk. But I feel like my my generation of people have been like quite influential in changing that mentality of recycling, reusing, and trying to make the best of 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 waste essentially. So I think that uh, a lot of people my age and older than me have like definitely impacted the environment for a positive. And I'm not saying that people from older generations are like having a negative um, attitude towards it or or anything like that. You know, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to be, it might come off as I'm being mean towards other generations, but I'm not. I'm, this is just my observation. Like David Attenborough's witness statement on the earth, this is just my observation, you know. Uh, I, I've definitely experienced, me personally, in my personal life, and I'm not throwing this on anybody else, um, I've seen a lot of waste come through older generations and young people have definitely been way more conscious of what they're wasting. And I feel like they, they did that a lot when I was in public school. When I was in a public high school, they taught us a lot about trying to recycle and the benefits of recycling and reusing and how deforestation was bad. So I feel quite thankful that we did get that kind of um, education when I was in high school, which was, you know, 20, 20 years ago now. Um, yeah, I feel quite, quite thankful to have had that knowledge. And even in public school, it was more of a push to recognize what we're doing to the planet and how we're not necessarily making it better. Um, yeah. And I feel like someone from my generation should have been that voice and not this 16 year old from Sweden, you know, but um, you know, this, the, the person I was talking about it, he, he said, well, it's a positive no matter what, you know, cause at least there's someone standing up and saying it, you know? So, so I don't retract my statement <laughs> about hating Greta Thunberg. I still like, don't like her a little bit, but I, I, I but only for the reason of, because I feel like it's it's a jealousy thing. You know, it should have been someone from my generation that stood up and took charge instead of us just like quietly achieving, you know. But um, yeah, hey, look, Greta, if you're ever going to listen to this, thank you for sticking up for your generation and the future generations to say that we are putting the world in a decline. Thank you for that. And thank you to future generations, future Attenboroughs that are going to save the planet because that's what's going to happen. I hope that that was enough to change the world's opinion and the world's ideals, you know, cause you, you change with an idea, you know, the idea of being something else or doing something else for betterment is, you know, it's a good idea. <laughs> and I think that 
you know, some of the ideas he had in the film. I don't, I'm not going to stand here or sit rather and um, go into this crazy environmental spiel because that's not who I am. I'm not that person. I care. I care a lot about the earth that I live in and I care a lot about the world that I leave behind. I try, my, my wife and I especially try to, um, to try and minimize our waste and our impact on the earth. I know, um, you know, we do try, we try to, you know, we use the, the wax coverings on food now, the recyclable sandwich wrappers for our, our son for, for school, which are a cool idea. We've got bamboo toothbrushes. At first I was really skeptical about the bamboo toothbrushes, but it's just something to get used to now. You know, I'm not on board with the disposable shavers though. I'm going to keep using my Gillette, um, shout out Gillette. I'm going to keep using that shaver because I don't have a lot of facial hair because of the, the, cause I'm half uh, Asian. I don't have a lot of facial hair, so I probably won't get a full beard till I'm 50. So the hairs that are there, you know, I don't shave every day. So there's no benefit from having a straight razor or one of the disposable razor blades around, you know, one Gillette razor will last me six months, you know, so it lasts a long time for me because I don't shave that often. You know, it's once a, it's not even once a week sometimes, you know, it just depends. Actually, I have noticed that it does grow back more frequently now. So 20 years, I should have a full beard. So yeah, he is hoping. No, I don't really care. I've gotten used to it now. I used to get a little bit upset that I couldn't grow a beard or like I didn't get like chest hair and stuff. But now that I'm, I've learned to just live with it. I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm quite happy not being like a really hairy dude. You know, I, I save on soap. It takes less soap to wash me. I don't have to use shampoo on my chest. I just use, you know, soap, you know, which is good. Uh, it makes it a lot easier as well when you're, um, you know, just trying to squeeze into like a wetsuit or something because you're hairless. I'm like built like a swimmer. It's just whoosh, seamless, slipperyless, slippery, slipperiness. I've got slipperiness on my side. Um, yeah. Anyway, if you haven't checked that doco, check it out because it's really, really good. What, what help, what else happened in 2020 that really, really sucked? Um, we still had bushfires in the start of the year and then, and then Chad, Chadwick Boseman died. That really, really sucked. Eh? I think what really sucked for me about this whole Chadwick Boseman dying is that the, the Marvel just haven't opened up about what they're going to do. And fair enough, you know, it's still pretty fresh, like the wound of, um, Rest in power, Chadwick Boseman uh, leaving this plane, this earthly plane for the next one. I think um, I just I just want to know, you know, like we're, we're in such a, a such a age of information and where information is so ready to access that you just want to know, you, you just want to find out and you just need to know. That's my generation as well. We just need to know things. We don't know why we need to know them, but we just want to know them. We just fixate on an idea you know, and we just see it and we stick to it. And we're just like, yes, we're all, all of us, excuse me, a strong majority of us. We're all like Heath Ledger's Joker when he tells Aaron Eckhart in the, um, he tells Aaron Eckhart in the, 
in the hospital, you know, he's like a he's like a dog. I'm like a dog that chases a garbage man. But when I catch the garbage man, I don't know what to do. I just keep running, you know. That's like a lot of my generation is just we just like keep chasing stuff. But we, we can't really see why we're doing it. We're just doing it. Um, well, that's, I won't say it's my entire generation, but it's definitely my generation. It's a generation of nonconformists that conform. You know, it's like the individualism I've spoken about before. I won't go into like the whole nonconformism because it still like irks me. Um, actually, uh, with with um, yeah, with this whole Marvel thing, it's only going to be for a positive. I mean, if they replace um, Chadwick Boseman, which I really don't think they will. I think they'll more or less pass the throne onto the um, the sister. I think. Because if I remember correct, um, that happens in a comic book storyline is that the sister becomes the Black Panther. Um, But we'll see. You know, like it's only going to be upwards and onwards for that franchise and that brand. Like there's going to be no one that, I dare say, doesn't like it and what happens with that. Because that's the beauty of of the Marvel Universe is there's so many storylines and there's so many ways to go about it. Like I'm pretty confident the next Iron Man is going to be a woman for sure because that's the storyline that was happening um, last year or the year before. I can't remember who wrote it, but it was like Iron Man but as a woman, you know, it was a woman Iron Man. And um, she was only like loosely um, involved with Stark not like sexually, just like mentorship, uh, a mentorship or something like that. Um, but it even might be rescue. Like they might even take on Pepper Potts as rescue as Iron Man kind of thing, you know? So there's heaps of storylines to go from. And even if they let Iron Man like cool out and, you know, it's just like the cameo and all that kind of stuff, that's still pretty cool. That's still like a great storyline and there's still a, a long way you can go from that. I think the defining thing now is that they, you know, not only did he die in, spoiler alert, <laughs> not only did he die in Endgame, he dies, he continues to be dead in the Spider-Man universe after, you know, so they're well and truly buried Robert Downey Jr. Jr. as the, as the character. Which is awesome, you know. I think a humble thing is of, of what Robert Downey Jr. did. He was like, there was a lot of fan outcry for him to get nominated for Iron Man for Endgame. And he, like, politely refused and, like, didn't, well, not refuse, but politely said, no, I don't want to be nominated for a role, um, for that role for that film because that wasn't the best performance of him. And the only reason that people would want me to win this or I would win this is because of the emotional 10-year connection of me playing that character, which is so true. Um, I, I love Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man. I don't think there will be another Iron Man quite like him because, you know, that character is so like Robert Downey Jr. I think there's an Avengers... Um, there's an Avengers storyline or an Avengers book and um, they all, they, uh, Tony Stark um, says who he, who they would want to be played by. And he says, oh, Bruce, uh, Edward Norton would play Bruce Banner, which happened. Um, Brad Pitt would play Captain America, which was talked about. 
and Robert Downey Jr. would play Iron Man. And I can't remember who would play Hank Pym. But uh, I found that, you know, great that the, the, you know, two of the three characters that was named years and years ago actually got a chance and, you know, played those roles, which is pretty cool. I think um, what I'm looking forward to is like the Hulk universe. I'm looking forward for She-Hulk, man. That's awesome. She-Hulk is like the refined version of Hulk. I mean, she's a lawyer. She's a Hulk all the time, and she's a lawyer. She's a defense lawyer. You know, she defends Deadpool. Right after Deadpool tries to really, really, you know, jip up the the Marvel universe. You know, she Hulk's on his side. That tells you stuff. Agents of Smash. I'm looking forward to Agents of Smash. That should be pretty cool. If they do that, who really knows? I think, um, yeah, there's a lot of. Bright future. Marvel's got a bright future coming out. Even DC. Even DC's got some cool things on the horizon. I'm looking forward to um, um, Kill the Justice League. And it's like you, you, it's the game where you play as the Suicide Squad and you got to kill the Justice League. But, and, and that's going to take place in the Arkham universe as well. So, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. I haven't read too much into it, but it does look very cool. But everything looks cool in a trailer. Look at, um, oh, geez, look at freaking Cyberpunk. That looks crazy good in the trailer. You know, that Billy Eilish song playing in the background of that. That was sick. I think, um, actually, there's a cool, like, Easter egg in that game where you find a, you find a gun and the gun is, um, it's like an AI. So it, like, speaks to you, holds conversations and that kind of stuff. So it's like a computer-integrated user face and that. And it um it it does this, it like um plays like a, a menu music and it's like bum bum be dum and it's the beat to Bad Guy by Billie Eilish, which is like, I thought that was a cool like throwback to like 2020 because like you know they say the world ends around that time 2023 I think is when the mass apocalypse happens, in um the nuclear wasteland bit happens in um Cyberpunk 2077. I think that's cool. They do like a cool little throwback to like, the, you know, that was arguably one of the biggest songs of, um, of like last year. Definitely. It probably was the biggest song last year. Let's be honest. It was like that old dance monkey, but we're not here to talk about 2019. We're here to talk about 2020. Let's not forget. And we can't forget to talk about Sean Connery and how Sean Connery, huge, Bond, James Bond, Yashi. Sean Connery is by far the greatest Bond personality ever because he was Bond in the films and then it was almost like he was Bond outside of the films. You know, he was like, the, he was he was awesome. He was a crazy personality and a, an awesome dude and he had like good follow-up films as well. That, um, that weren't too bad. I mean, he could have lived off just being Bond. I mean, George Lazenby did. He, like, made all his money off the Bonds and then became a real estate developer. George Lazenby's Australian. And he just became a real estate developer and made a go at just being a real estate mogul in Australia. And now he, like, lives off the um, lives off that revenue, I suppose, you know. And Roger Moore, he had, like, a good career. But Roger Moore was already kind of tailored to... Um, he was already tailored to being 
like Bond because of like the Saint TV show. So I think going from Roger Moore, uh, sorry, Sean Connery to Roger Moore was like inadvertently uh, relevant to do that. So I think that was okay. It was okay for them to do that because they felt it was acceptable, which is good. You know, that's good. Makes it easy. Makes it easy when an actor already does something like that and then they can just switch over. Who do you think the new Bond will be? I think it'll be um, Henry Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill, I think it'll be. Uh, After he finishes the, you know, sixth season of The Witcher, which is also a good show on Netflix. I think I think what I like about The Witcher is it's staying really true to like the books and the game, which is really, really good. I think I enjoyed The Witcher like heaps because of the games, because I played the games so much. Um well rather like three. I played three the most out of like I didn't play one, I'll be honest. But I didn't play one because it came out on PC. If it came out on console, I would have played it. I would have tried to have played it. But um, yeah, number two was just, I just couldn't wrap my head around it too much because of the the whole traps. And um, you really had to be a bit more methodical about how you played rather than three. You could um, definitely had a bit more leeway in how you played, which made it so much easier. Um, yeah, freaking, what was I saying? Um, yeah, Henry Cavill. He's going to be a cool Bond. But he's inadvertently done that through that Guy Ritchie film. The, um, oh, gosh. Uh, the uh, uh, Uncle, Agents of Uncle or something like that. So he's already kind of played a secret agent kind of thing, you know. So he's already tailored to that role to be the next Bond. I used to think before um, Daniel Craig, I thought it was going to be Clive Owen for ages. Because Clive Owen was like, he's like a good British personality and he's got like, but maybe he's too rough and too gritty to play Bond because he does have like a bit of a rougher um, British accent, but that can always be polished. I mean, he played Bond in, well, he didn't play Bond, but he played a secret agent in that Johnny English movie. And I thought that was like the teaser for him to be, you know, the next Bond, you know, I thought that was going to be the next uh, evolutionary step to be Bond was because he played Bond in Johnny English. He didn't play Bond, but he played a secret agent in Johnny English. So, yeah. Rowan Atkinson should, like, give Johnny English another crack. Oh, actually, I think he did. I think there's actually three movies of um, him now as Johnny English, I'm pretty sure, which is pretty pretty good for, uh, you know, a kind of... Um, parody of the whole super spy thing. I think Leslie Nielsen's Naked Gun is by far one of the best parodies because it just like knowingly takes it too far. I mean, that movie came out in the late 80s, early 90s, maybe even mid 80s, I would say. And it was just, I think OJ's in it. I think OJ is in, um, I swear he's in number one and he's like the, he's the detective that is like the calmer one, the more rational one out of Leslie Nielsen's character. I think, I feel like it is. Well, sorry, we're going way off track for like 2020. 
But um, well, talking about 2020, talk about like Ratchet, that whole Ratchet thing that came out, Nurse Ratchet that came out by Ryan Murphy. It's like um, Ryan Murphy is trying to change our opinion on um, on things. He's trying to make out that that Nurse Ratchet was like crazier than what she already was in um, One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest. It's like you're trying to make it seem like there was more than she was just a, an angry person. <laughs> like she was an angry person in um, One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest who just craved order. And now it's like we've got to give it this deeper meaning now, which is crazy. Excuse me. And to show that she's like that crazy or that unhinged and strange in um in that show by Ryan Murphy. And then and then you watch like if you watched Ratchet and then you watched One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest, there would be oh, I don't know. Sarah Paulson just does such a great job though. Like you can't knock her. She does, she acts the pants off Nurse Ratchet. Like, she does a really good job of really any role that she plays in all those Ryan Murphy ones, like the American Horror Stories and all that. Like, she does a really good job. She even does a really good job in um, the OJ trial, which is really good. I think that's all, it's all Ryan Murphy, or, or at least he created it. It's like so, sometimes I, I hear about these things and I think, oh, that's cool. And then I hear Ryan Murphy's behind it. It's like he's trying to change our opinions. He's trying to like, he's like dramatizing the story so much that it's going to change our opinion of if OJ did it or if Gianni Versace was murdered, and um and that kind of the, the those kind of things. Eh, it's really strange. It's like he's trying to take over the horror. He's like our generation's John Carpenter. Remember how John Carpenter in the 70s and 80s and, like, 90s. He just did, like, every horror thing. You know, he did, like, vampires. He did zombies. He did, like, um, post-apocalyptic worlds. He did, like, all the... He did um, adaptions of, like, Stephen King books, you know? Like, he did two of them, I'm pretty sure. I know he did... um, He definitely did... Christine, and there was another one he did. He may have done Cujo. I can't really remember. It was either Cujo or maybe Pet Cemetery. I could be wrong on both ways, but I know he did another Stephen King adaptation. Uh, Christine's a great one, by the way. That's really good. That's a good book too. But Christine is a good book and a decent movie as well. I th- I like the book a little better just because it goes through and tells the story of like. It tells the story from everyone's perspective of the events and how it's like, oh, it's cool. It's cool, man. It's a cool story rather than like the movie. The movie's still cool, but it's like because it would be weird if you narrated if if um, if the car was like narrated to how it was feeling and how it was speaking, that'd be a little weird. Yeah, it wouldn't make much sense. It would be harder to pull off then than it would now. I think now you can probably pull it off rather than back then. But yeah, Ryan Murphy is like, he's like taking over the whole, and he's doing it on the small screen, which is interesting too. Like he's not doing it 
um, like movies like John Carpenter is or was. He's just doing it on the, on the smallest screen. He's doing it on these streaming services, which is like a, uh, effectively the way to reach an audience, a modern audience is to do it that way and to reach people that way rather than trying to reach people, trying to get people to go to the cinema to watch your, you know, your three-part miniseries. You know, you're getting people to sit at home in the comfort of the home and enjoy it and then like it and rave about it. You know, still do all the things they want to do at home, cook dinner, eat dinner, watch the show, you know, work out, then watch the show, you know. So, hey, look, props to you, Ryan Murphy, but, you know, still trying to change my opinion on things. Maybe, Maybe we all just want to think a little bit more independently than you like graphically dramatizing someone's work man nah it's not it's not all bad it's not even bad it's like really good it's good that like information is getting out there and entertainment it's entertainment man eh? like entertainment's good any kind of entertainment is generally good you know any kind of publicity is generally good publicity and anytime someone talks about your show to someone else that's another person that hears about your show you know that brings me to like to this if you do enjoy the show and you have been enjoying the show this year, you can um, you can send me an email or you can leave a review on iTunes. Well, positive, negative, I don't really mind. As long as it's a review, you can just tell me what's up and say, oh, look, you know, maybe you learned something. Maybe I threw in a bit of movie trivia that you didn't know and now you, and now you know and you can go tell your friends about, oh, hey, I was listening to this guy and he told me that OJ was an actor. <laughs> before he was like <laughs> on trial for attempted murder <laughs> you know maybe you didn't know that maybe you didn't but you can tell me all about it on um on, on the reviews and if you want to um I've, I've put a link or not a link but i've just written in the description of how you can find this podcast on the things but anyway enough about that enough about that shameless plug that you're kind of forced to do in a, in a weird way because, like, as much as I'm doing this because I like doing this, I still want new people and more people to listen to it as well. Like, I think that's a good thing. I think, like, like Ryan Murphy, you know, the more people that talk about this, the more people listen to it and the more people either tell me it's good or tell me it's bad. It won't stop me from doing it. You can feel free to, to tell me it sucks because then I'll say, okay, Thank you. Thank you for your feedback. I really appreciate that. But I'll still keep doing it in 2021. It's something that I've grown to really enjoy and really like. And then, you know, you can kind of, I can kind of grasp what, you know, I want to talk about. Yeah. More often. Yeah. Anyway, enough about that. Uh, the, the last thing, I'll, I'll tell you a couple of stories. I'll tell you a couple of hospitality. I haven't done this in a while. I haven't told like a good hospitality story, but, um, yeah, I was working at this place as you do as a chef. When, when you work in as a chef, you inadvertently work at a lot of places. And what I like to do, I like to work at as many places, not that I've worked at heaps of places, but I like to work a lot of places to get experience so then I can take that experience and apply it to another job or apply how you do something and apply it to how I want to do it and make, you know, a menu evolve or make my skills evolve, which I've, I've, I feel like I've done over the course of uh, my career. I've 
definitely done enough types of cuisine that I can, you know, generally pull off a lot of things. I can make the basics or I can make complex work really easy and work well for me. And I can teach others these skills as well because that's the other thing about hospitality. It's about putting the knowledge down, you know, because hospitality isn't an art that is like sword making or like, is um like construction you know like the the hospitality is such a young industry and it has such a young depth of knowledge like um a scoffier augusta scoffier the you know one of the first guys to apply um french cookery into a brigade establishment with with the hierarchy he was only around in like the late uh, well, 1888 to 1900s, you know, so it's not like that's only a hundred years that people have been like cooking and cooking well for. Uh, you can argue that the Japanese and the Chinese have been doing it and the Italians are like there, they run deep. But as far as commercial cookery and what we know about commercial cookery and how it works, it's from Escoffier, you know, like it's from that kind of, um, launching pad that we've built commercial kitchens into the way they are and how they operate through a hierarchy. That's how it is, right? So, I, I you, you know, you want to learn as much as you can. You can never learn it, everything from one person. Like, I just feel like that's impossible. Like, the guys that are under me and work with me, they're not going to learn everything from me they're going to learn as much as I can teach them and they're going to probably come away with everything that I know, but they're not going to learn everything about everything from me. You know, they need to find that for themselves. They need to go, if they want to evolution, uh, revolution, uh, evolve their careers, sorry, they want to evolve their careers and they have to go somewhere else and learn a different way or they need to, you know, go, go, go on the interweb. They need to follow different people on Instagram. That's what I do on my personal Instagram is I just follow a lot of chefs, um, whether it be uh, Japanese, American, French, Italian, whatever. I can't read the posts uh, and, you know, you can hit see translate or whatever, but I'm just looking at the food. You know, I'm looking at how they're doing the food. I'm looking at how they're presenting and what's trending and what's, what's making um, uh, hospitality headlines. You know what I mean? Like I talk to a lot of my friends and we always talk about food. There's one friend in particular Simon with an S, shout out Simon with an S, um, El Capitan. Um, we talk about food or, or as frequently as we talk, you know, we usually talk, you know, at least once a month. I try to keep, I try to talk to him at least once a month because I like talking to him. Um, and we generally just talk about Sopranos most of the time, <laughs> which is like crazy. It's a crazy thing too about 2020 is that the Sopranos just came back. We're like, he and I, we've just always watched The Sopranos. Like there's been, if we need something to watch or want to watch something, we just watch The Sopranos again, <laughs> you know, like, you know, or I watch, you know, The Sopranos and Boardwalk Empire. Like I, I, I'm always like in that universe. I always watch it. And now like everyone's like, oh man, have you seen The Sopranos? Like, yeah, I have. I've been watching it for ages, you know, like what took you this long to watch a show that's uh, 20 years old that, debuted 21 years ago, 1999, the first episode aired, you know, what took you this long to get around to like James Gandolfini is an epic actor. He is, he is 
the definition of Tony Soprano, you know? He is he embodies it so well. And the fact that he is a bigger guy and a fatter guy and he's got all this moxie on it, you know, like all this gusto, like that makes it even better that he's not this jacked bodybuilder looking type. You know, he looks like a tough dude, but he also looks like your average Italian American dude as well. Like there's a human to, there's a human side to him. He doesn't look so far fetched. It's like when you watch that um like Spartacus, you know, if you ever watch the rev- the revamped TV show of Spartacus, all of them look like, like gods, <laughs> like they're all like built like these crazily fit bodybuilders, eh? Like they look insane and unrealistic as well. You know, like I can't see my problems as his problems. But I can see my problems as Tony Soprano's problems, as James Gandolfini's problems. That's what makes the show so relatable and so good. Even though there's the Mafia expert in the La Cosa Nostra, there's all those aspects to it. But at the end of the day, he's still a family man with family problems and he's still a dude that suffers, uh, you know, depression or whatever, you know? So it's, it's so relatable and it's so relevant now. And I'm actually happy that people are watching it because you can see how this strong, silent, Gary, Gary Cooper guy, you know, this guy can, he if he can go and get help, then anyone can get help. And I hope that that's what a lot of people take away from it, is that they you can see this strong, silent, tough guy act, but he recognizes that he needs help. So he goes and seeks help. That's the, that's the, the shining moment in like when that show first aired yeah it's not realistic i'm sure like there's a lot of people that would be like oh if 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 he was in the mom and he went to go see a psychiatrist it'd be him and the him and the psychiatrist in the they, they'd be in the trunk of the car you know for sure no one's going to dispute that but it's a tv show you know and it's not a reality-based tv show you know i think it's loosely related the figures or rather the personalities and the mentalities on um, it's more related to the created David Chase's childhood rather than, cause I think he grew up in Newark, which is um, in New Jersey. I'm pretty confident. Um, yeah. So anyway, go check it out. Go watch the Sopranos, you know, cause that's good. Yeah. I was going to tell you hospitality story. So I got really, really sidetracked. Um, <laughs> That's what happens. You know, it's like your mind's just going and going and then you get caught up in the surprise. So, you know, we, 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 we talk a lot about food, me and my mate and all, all my hospitality mates, you know, we all talk about food a lot because we're passionate and we like food and we, we like to see food go from what you pull out of the ocean or what you take from the farm to what you put on a plate and someone enjoys, you know, from farm gate to plate or from you know, the, the paddock to plate or whatever, or, you know, from, from wherever the animal comes from to your kitchen and then you dress it up and put like, and then you make it look like nothing out of this world. I think my greatest thing or my favorite thing to do is to make something look not that good, but taste really good. It's like, uh, David Chang always said, like, ugly, delicious, you know, like you want to take something that looks disgusting, but it's delicious, you know, that's that's one of my favorite things. And it's also tricking the brain. It's like making a savory a sweet, 
you know, like making something that shouldn't be like a cucumber. I made a cucumber jelly with this um, nice swordfish dish. And um, it was just like a play on the mind. So cucumber can't be a jelly, but here it is on my plate as a jelly. Like, that's awesome. Don't you think that's a cool thing? That's cool, man. You know, like you can make, and it tastes like cucumber. <laughs> it's a jelly and it tastes like cucumber. You wouldn't believe it. Anyway. Um, so, you know, I'm working, I'm working in this kitchen and I'm running the line and the, the, this, uh, the chef, he like brings up, you know, he's, he's cooking and I asked for, um, this prawns dish and he's like, you know, he plates a prawn and he, he plates it and then he gives me the plate. He's like, all right, mate, listen, I know they get 10 prawns, but this one's got eight. Just let them know. That next time they'll get two prawns. <laughs> and, look, and he's looking at me dead serious as he's saying it. Eh? He's like, look, 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 mate, I know there's eight, I know, but next time they get two, you just let them know. You just let them know that next time they come, they'll get two. And I'm looking at this guy and I was like, nah, that's not happening. You're gonna put you're gonna cook another two prawns and you're gonna put it in this dish. In fact, you're gonna put the whole dish back in the pan, and then you gotta separately heat your prawns and heat them back up and then put it in there. You're going to cook the other two prawns. You're going to give me 10 prawns. You're not going to give me eight prawns and then explain to the customer how they paid for 10 prawns, <laughs> how they paid for 10 prawns, and then you gave them eight. But you also told them that they could get a rain check and come back and get their two prawns whenever is, whenever they want. So I thought I'd share that with you. That's pretty funny. That like basically summed up a lot of 2020, wasn't it? That you could, um, <laughs> that you could, uh, you know, give someone something, but then say, "Oh, hang on, if you come back, you'll get extra." <laughs> if you come back, I'll give you not quite what you ordered. I'll give you what you want, but not really. But then when you come back, you'll get it. <laughs> anyway, I thought that's a cool little story. That's um one of my favorites this year. I've heard a lot of good stories and a lot of good things have happened to me, but I don't want to, I want to save some for 2021. I mean, it's the 29th today. You know, I want to save some of it. So, so I'll tell you another quick one, right? Another, another quick one. So in hospitality, when you were in kitchens, rather when you're working and you've prepped an item. So when you prep something, you cut it down to, uh, what the size specification is or what the item is. And you generally place it in a container, whether it be um, a plastic takeaway container, uh, a vacuum seal bag, or uh, a metal gastronome Bay-Marie or, or Dixie broken into fractions, you know, a one, three, a half, a, a six and a nine, right? Then you put it in there and then you generally cling film it or you cover it with, um, you know, go-between or, or baking paper or just cling film, and then you label it, right? And then what you put on the label is generally what it is, when you prepped it. Uh, if it's, like, perishable, you put, like, when it needs to be used by, and then you generally initial it, <laughs> right? So uh, I, I pull this guy up and... Um, uh, for for sake of the story, I'm just the same voice I did with the prawn. And uh, I say to him, I said, "Oh, mate, you need to um, with your sauces. You need to make them thicker because they're really thin. So next time you make them, could you make them thicker? Because we're just making them thicker to order. So if you don't mind, I'm very polite. I'm generally very polite in kitchens. I say, can you please 
make them thicker next time. And he's, he looks at me and he's like, just because it's got my name on it doesn't mean I prepped it, right? And I said, what do you mean? It's like, just because it's got my... Just because I just because got my name on it, mate, doesn't mean I prepped that. And I said that kind of defeats the purpose of naming things, doesn't it? <laughs> that defeats the purpose and the practicality of you putting your initials or your name on something if you didn't even do it, right? <laughs> the reason you put your name on it or you sign off on it is to say I finished this job and I packaged this job away. So if there's a problem, come see me. So then there was a problem with his source. I went and seen him about it. And then he told me it wasn't his source, even though he labeled it and put it in the quorum. So, um, yeah, that's almost summing up 2020 as well. Just kind of passing the buck. Hey, 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 hey. I know I was put here, but it doesn't mean I did it. <laughs> anyway, that's enough of that. I'll, I'll save, I won't go on because I'll save him. I'll save him for 2021. So that's it. That's um, that's a wrap on um, my mind for 2020. Have a happy new year and a very um, fortunate new year. I wish everybody all the luck and, you know, many blessings to you and your household. I hope everything goes well in your home. I can do that because I'm part Asian. Yeah. Doesn't it sound weird when sometimes... No, no, I'll save that conversation for 2021. Yeah, I'll save that one. Um, but anyway, look, um, you can you can you can follow this page where you'll get updates weekly or daily. No, I won't promise daily. I'll promise part weekly <laughs> that I'll update the Instagram page. And I'll just put stuff on the story. That's what you do, isn't it, these days? You just put stuff on the story and then people will get into it and start recognizing it, right? I don't know. I'm still learning how to market from my five-year-old, as I keep saying, you know, he's doing well. He's just showing me little tricks and tricks to, to get it right and to pull it off. So yeah, we're doing all right. Um, but you can follow, follow it, follow this podcast on Instagram, which is my mind podcast, which is M Y M N D P D C S T. It's my mind with no vowels because someone took all the vowels, which I'm not happy about. So I had to leave them out right it's a consonant it's just a consonant it's it's my mind that's how it sounds in my head um yeah and go go look look go like it check it out check it out goodbye happy new year